Welcome to Beer Life. My name is Jordan Foss. On episode two, uh, we're chatting with Josh Vanderheide of Fieldhouse Brewing Company. Uh, Josh was actually a graphic designer that I knew from when Steel and Oak was just starting. He actually did all the initial branding on, on our brewery. Um, and in that process, uh, Josh decided that he was going to open a brewery in his hometown of Abbotsford. Um, I actually don't know anybody that thinks about business the same way that Josh does. Um, so rather than talking about craft beer a ton in this episode, we actually dive deep into how Josh runs his business, uh, how he structures it, and how he motivates the people that work for Fieldhouse. Uh, so with that being said, here's episode two of Beer Life. Today we are recording in our lab rather than the tasting room because our guest is too fucking important to show up at 9 a.m. and we had to record it at 1.30. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Josh Vanderheide from Fieldhouse to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for saying that I'm important. I really appreciate that. How come you can get here at 9 a.m. like everybody else? Uh, I was working, Jordan. Some people uh, work uh, when they are part of a brewery. Oh, okay. Well, let's talk about that. Um, Josh uh, owns a brewery in a magical land called Abbotsford, which is about 45 minutes uh, east of New Westminster, where Steel and Oak's located. And um, I guess to start, um, let's talk about your journey maybe a couple years out from opening a brewery in Abbotsford. Why Abbotsford? What were you doing before? How did you get into beer? Um, yeah, great. Uh, well, a couple years out, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've shared this and I sometimes feel bad about, uh, explaining this, that, uh, there is people that, you know, their entire life wanted to own a brewery since they were like three years old or something. Um, and I, and I really commend people for that. It's like that they've got this vocation to own a brewery. Uh, my, my journey was a little bit different in that, um, you know, I kind of fell into this industry through a series of meeting some great people and really, um, really kind of got into the industry because of the people and the, and the type of industry it was. So, uh, before Fieldhouse, I was, uh, running a design studio in Gastown with my business partner, Jesse Bannister, who, you know, Jordan, I do. Um, and we were kind of a generalist graphic design studio, but we kind of ended up working kind of into this sort of niche area where we're working with really cool, small producers, craft producers, distillers, um, wineries and, and craft, craft beer, uh, guys. And that was kind of when the industry was really booming and we were watching all these these breweries, you know, just take off and we were really, really inspired. And then we would go to these events to support our clients and we would be like, this is the coolest industry there is. Everybody's, it's, you know, bro hugs and high fives and it was such a great time. And we were kind of like, well, if we're going to get into an industry, we'd worked on every every industry under the sun. I mean, we had we had done everything from, you know, corporate clients to I famously rebranded a, a menopause uh, brand, and oh. I think I, we nailed the strategy. I did a lot, you know, research, talked to my my mom, my mom's friends, and um, anyways, we we were literally working on every project under the sun, <laughs> and we really loved this niche, and and more specifically, we loved the, the industry. So, um, anyways, I, I can't remember all the sequence of events, but I think my my business partner turned to me and said, "You know, you, you live in Abbotsford now. There's not really any craft breweries out there. You should you should open one." And I was like. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. Maybe I should look into that. So, anyways, it's hard to remember all those. I think there's. It's kind of like um, having kids. You you black it out for a reason because there was bad points in there and scary points. Uh, but uh, I really, I think the shift was that you know I'd worked with a lot of small businesses for a long time, helping to get them started off the ground and. And I'd always just done the design and marketing part of things, but I was really interested to see what what does the rest of the business look like? You know, what 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 else is required to run a run a business? And so, 
you know, at a certain point, we just, just jumped in as, as many of us did and just said, let's do this and figure it out as we go. Cause there's not really a, a, a distinct playbook for it. So the way I always tell this story, uh, when people ask me, how did Josh get into beer? I always say, well, Josh worked on a bunch of the packaging design for steel and Oak and thought, wow, how cool are those guys? I want to do the same thing. That's what I tell people. That's not the case, I guess, entirely. Uh, it's it's part of the case. It's it's a small part of the case. So Josh and I, um, I mean, you and I, we, we were fortunate enough to work together before Fieldhouse and before Steel and Oak even opened the doors. Um, I was introduced to you through a mutual friend, Jesse, who was your business partner at the time and a popular DJ at a nightclub I used to frequent. And um, and uh, you did all the, the original design work for Steel and Oak, designed the S&O pack gene um, that you see on the flagship cans. And um, I know you're always a really interesting person to work with um, that you guys just kind of thought of things differently. And um, so speaking of th- thinking of things differently, it would make sense. You were a Gastown, Vancouver-based design firm. It would make sense to open kind of, you know, a very aesthetically pleasing like Fieldhouse is brewery brand in Vancouver. Um, you were living in Abbotsford at the time. What were the the what what's been the strength of Abbotsford for deciding to open up a brewery, um, you know, uh, especially a brewery that's kind of is, it's so polished. If you haven't looked at Fieldhouse's uh, stuff yet, you should look them up on Instagram. Um, you know, it's it it feels very Vancouver to me. And so, what what are the strengths that Abbotsford's been able to give you from having that kind of almost Vancouver? feel brand, um, you know, in what's a, a suburb of a suburb, basically, um, in the Valley. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people sometimes say that certain concepts are feel very Vancouver. And I think that what they're actually saying is they're actually a really cool concept. They're really interesting. They're well-designed. There's good, you know, visual aesthetics, whatever the, 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 the thing that makes up that concept, we kind of say those are good concepts. They aren't necessarily Vancouver concepts. It's just that you typically see them more in larger urban cities because of, you know, the type of people that are working, living there. So, um, you know, the concept we designed for Abbotsford was meant to be really authentic to who Abbotsford was. If you come to our place, we call it sort of a loosely a, a modern farmhouse look. It's, it's rustic. It's it's raw. But it also, in, you know, has clean lines and it's open and, and you know, and it, it feels like you said, it feels different than maybe what you'd expect. I mean, as far as why we opened in Abbotsford um, and what's kind of kept us going is that Abbotsford is is a place that has so much um, um I guess the, the, the roots of Abbotsford are so great. We've got an amazing agricultural community. Uh, we have amazing products out there. We've got beautiful land. We've got access to all this hiking and lakes. We've, we've just kind of, sometimes we joke, we call it like the promised land. It's like, you know, when you, when you show up there, it's, you know, milk and honey or whatever. But I think really there was so much there. And I think it was that they needed some ways to materialize it for people to engage with it. And so what we tried to do was create a space, as we've seen other breweries do, it could become a bit of the hub for the community and where all those things, all that food could materialize and all those great people that are there could materialize and that families could come and you're, you could have your dog. So it was kind of this 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 place that can maybe bring it all together. And that was kind of one of the goals is, is a, a space that represented the community well and also was just open to everybody in the community. So... And with um, with with Abbotsford, I mean, I, I've written down in my notes here to ask about the, the weaknesses of opening there, but I guess it's more about what are the opportunities that haven't been tapped yet for you, you know, from from being, you know, one of just a couple breweries in in what's a relatively large city. Yeah, I mean, 
we we when we started we said there's you know the part of the pun that it was a really untapped community when we when we started our business plan there was no open breweries i mean prior to us in the same year ravens opened old abbey opened first and then ravens opened and we were number three um so it was there was just nothing going on and not just nothing going on for beer at the time, there wasn't a lot of just experiences for people. It was really historically a bedroom community because your options were go to the old mall, go to Costco, go to uh, choose your chain restaurant. And that was all the options. So there's a reason why people stayed home because there wasn't really a lot to do. So in the last five years, you know, within and, and within the last three since we've opened, we've seen a number of different types of businesses open that are, are highly experiential. They're independent owner operator businesses. And now there's something kind of to go do for Abbotsford, which, which is a real change. And that's like everything within the last three to five years. And with, um, you know, for your style, of, I mean, you guys obviously brew a bunch of different things, but you are more focused on farmhouse style beers and, and you know, um, and wild beers, I guess. And you've got, you know, do have a barrel aging and a fooder program. Do you, was the farmhouse style something that just naturally occurred or did you go into the project knowing that that's exactly what you wanted to do? Um. I mean, I, I, this, you know, a lot of this credit on the beer program that goes to Parker, our head brewer, um, you know, we, we did spend a lot of time together, uh, talking about different styles, you know, Parker's first day of the job, we hopped on a plane, we went, we flew to Holland and we spent a week there. Um, we, we thought Holland was a really inter- interesting inter- intersection, um, specifically because we come from a, a high, a highly populated Dutch community and Dutch and German community. Uh, and so, you know, we wanted to kind of explore like that culture and as it related to our community, but also it's kind of unique situation between sort of, you know, Germany and Belgium and that it was really interesting to see the beer culture there was very similar to BC beer culture influenced by the Belgian culture, influenced by the German culture, and also actually highly influenced by American beer culture. And that's kind of what we see a lot of in BC. It's kind of a mishmash of these different influences. Um, as for the brewing program conceptually, um, we, we did intentionally try to create a beer program that wasn't what you might expect. You know, mm-hmm. I think if you said what kind of beer crap brewery would you open up in Abbotsford, I think you, you, you'd obviously see that it would, we'd make a lot of lagers and some pale ales and maybe, uh, you know, a friendly IPA kind of thing. So, um, we, we did decide to kind of challenge Abbotsford and say, listen, you should know there's more to, to craft beer here. And we sort of slowly introduced that and, and pushed it a little bit. And then we've just kind of like at a certain point, we just put the pedal down to the metal and said, let's keep pushing and pushing and pushing and keep trying and innovating. And and I think what's happened is um, it's, 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 I think, nice as a brewery to kind of be known for something, whatever that thing is. Um, and to... Uh, we, we have a lot of people out there that come in and say, I'm not really a beer drinker. And we're like, we'll try this wine beer hybrid or try this Gosa or try the sour, you know, and we get a lot of non-beer drinkers that are, are typically look, looking at the traditional concept of a beer that is driven by the malts or driven by the hops that, that aren't really interested in those flavor profiles that are, are, are more interested in maybe a different style. So um, so that, and then, you know, the last component is that, you know, there was, a, there was a part of our concept that was when you look at farmhouse styles or Saison styles, those, those beers were, were brewed historically for the field workers. And that is, you know, we're sort of paid homage to our, our agricultural background. So we were looking to brew styles that, that were brewed authentically for the type of people in the community that we have, or, or originally had in our, in Abbotsford. So do you think that you have more, um, more customers, enthusiasts, people that come to your taste room from Abbotsford 
um, because you went that, you know, farmhouse uh, wild beer route than you would if you had gone to traditional lager style? Or or do you feel that a lot of the people that come to that tasting room is because you're more of a destination where, you know, people from from Metro Vancouver be like, oh, yeah, Fieldhouse, they're doing all those great farmhouse beers. Let's head out there for the weekend. Yeah, I think we, we I think the answer is probably both. We... I think we're at a disadvantage in that just, you know, the, the population base, although Abbotsford is big, um, you know, the, the idea of getting someone to get in their car and drive whatever period of time, 40, call it half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour to, to come visit you. We really believe you got to give them a reason to show up, not, you know, and, 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 you know, beer is a good reason to show up, but if you have a beer or, or known or a series for beers of beers that, um, nobody else is doing for whatever reason, that's a good reason for someone to hop in the car. Uh, so, so I think on the product side, we thought that was really important. And then on the experience side, we have to, we had to say the same thing. What kind of experience could we give them that's out in the Valley that you couldn't get in the city? And that is kind of where, if you've been to our brewery, we have this big outdoor patio and they have this like three, 4,000 square foot lawn that we do live music on. And we, you know, kids run around on and we play, you know, croquet on and bocce ball. Um, that is something you couldn't get in the city. So we, we, we were kind of mindful of, of what, what do we have to offer? And usually in the Valley, what we have to offer is space. And what yeah. could we do with space if we had it? So that's kind of, I think it was both. I think the, the product had to have, uh, you know, uh, something that created a destination, but also the experience had to be a destination as well. So going back to your, you've opened Fieldhouse, how many staff did you open with? I remember the, the picture there's, um, I want to, I want to say eight. And how many do you have now? Uh, about 50. And the, and, and the reason I'm, I'm bringing that up is I talked to, um, what I really want to chat with you about today is, is more of the company culture and structure that you've, you've formed. I had uh, Brent Mills from Four Winds on the program, uh, for episode two, and I asked him, who he thought was doing a really unique job of um, just creating company culture. And he mentioned your name and, um, and I was like, Oh yeah, Josh is going to be on the program. It's great. If I can get him there at nine, it'd be better, but he only wants to come at one thirty, So we'll have to record it in the lab. Um, but you know, um, hopefully we'll have him on the show. And I want to kind of just get into how you've set up um, the, the company culture. And, and I hate, I don't want to use the word corporate, structure because i know you hate that yeah but the structure of your company and and how it's evolved over the years mm -hmm. um so maybe start with when did you decide after Fieldhouse has opened that you wanted to do things a little bit differently uh than a traditional company or were you already always going that that route from day one um i don't i don't know it was like obvious on day one i don't think there was any like oh we've got to do everything different and i don't know um in some ways in some ways we do that now but uh, I think it was just as as things evolved, and ad, as we needed to create new things, we we try to have this mindset of questioning everything. And I think probably evolved from this idea of questioning, you know, what kind of beer should you make for Abbotsford? Questioning what kind of experiences Abbotsford need, and and that idea of, you know, coming up with a thoughtful answer to to those questions it was was always something on our mind. So when we said as we were growing and we were creating you know, growing our people and then trying to decide what that was um, and trying to to make sure it was steering in the right direction so that, you know, your culture, you know, at, at six people or eight people is the same as, you know, 50 people or 100 people, whatever it is, um, that we want to make sure that we were really mindful of shaping it in the right direction. So uh, I don't know that it was like part of the whole game plan, but I can tell you that 
uh, the reality is is that it is is now very much part of the game plan and it's it's a, a lot of uh, a lot of our time is invested into into our people and our, and our culture so if you could just set up for the people that are listening how your company structure actually works it's it's not a traditional top to bottom you say it's it's you know side moving forward it's the left side moving forward or, or however you phrase it yeah. and so it you have do you still have somebody that technically i would assume is you and then you know a general manager and how it filters down from there but it doesn't filter down it filters sideways so maybe if you could just kind of touch base on how even you just set that the whole structure up yeah i mean that was something i think i shared with you i mean we we tried to draw the organization of our, in our of our um, company, but try to draw it in a way that wasn't top down. That was the whole goal: is um, how do we draw this thing so it doesn't look like anybody's the quote unquote boss, and that everybody understands they play a role. So one of the kind of uh, principles was that we learned early on was there was this weird thing when we were sort of growing earlier that there was this feeling that there was this concept of man management because we had a, a brand manager and we had a taste room manager, you know, we use this title and there's, you know, and, and then there was a group of people that didn't have a manager title. And so they were not management. And we obviously certainly weren't trying to create that culture at all, but we felt that something was kind of up in that. So we, we, we actually spent a bit of time. We looked up the definition of a manager and the definition of manager is one who uh, guides and controls resources and expenditures. And we're like, okay. And then we, we also looked up the definition of a leader and it says, you know, one who, um, you know, inspires and, you know, leads others or, and the verbiage is not ideal or uh, correct. Um, and, this idea of, of a person who could lead the business forward by inspiring in people and setting the standard high is really what we believed in. And this idea of someone going around managing everybody is something we didn't believe in. So that was kind of part of this concept. Um, and then the other part was this idea that there's this perception that some people are, are more important in a business than others. And that really is not true. And, and, and you know from running your business that if you didn't have the people that, whether it's brewed the beer, or clean the kegs, you know, ran the tasting room, whatever, whatever it is, all, all those pieces that make the day-to-day -day business go. Um, if you didn't have those people, we would, we'd be out of, out mm -hmm. of jobs. So why is there any concept that those people would be on a lower point of the, of the organizational stru structure? So that anyway, all these sort of ideas were percolating and, um, we, we kind of, you know, just said, and we went said to our team is that there's not one role here that's more important than the other. We all play a role. We all play different roles. Um, and, and some roles, you know, it require more time and, and different things, but there's, these roles are not higher or lower. These roles are all important. And so we designed a, you know, if you look at our organization truck our, our organization chart, it really just identifies people's roles, what they're, you know, what they, they, what job they take ownership of and they've stepped up the plate and say, I'll, I'll take that, I'll take on that job. And then, you know, group people into teams. So we have a support team and the job is to support everybody in the business. We have a product, we have product teams like our beer team and our food team um, that their job is to develop products that go into to the different parts of our business. And then we have, you know, frontline teams, you know, our tasting room and our, um, and, and they're comprised of our tasting room and our kitchen team, you know, so it's very much a team structure as, as in, you know, when you're on a, you know, uh, you know, good sports team, you really good sports and teams are, are the well-rounded teams, not, not the, the team with Le LeBron James and a bunch of B players, you know? And I think that's yeah, the LeBron kind of, James's team is not good. Yeah. I can, 
Yeah, so he's good, but his team's not. So and and you know what? Why do we want? Why you know? I, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. I personally just don't want to be, you know, the a, a really good player on a really bad team kind of thing. So yeah, there's a lot obviously in 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 there, but I think that the the main concepts were making sure that everybody feels super super valued in their role and whatever that is, and making sure that we spend enough time uh, telling them they're valued in their role and supporting them in their role. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I think just trying to change some of these norms in business to saying that the business doesn't have to look this way. That's how, like you say, corporate cultures looked and it does, it's, it's for a different, it's for a different purpose. I want to, um, cause you and I have chatted about this before, but I also want to chat about, you have a, um, because I think it's really interesting. It's the first time I'd ever heard of it is a no firing policy. And I wonder if you could just touch base on how that works. Yeah, so it's funny because it, it it is something and and uh, for a long time it it wasn't something that was like we 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 put out the open and we talk about all the time. It was really kind of an internal, uh, well, I'll call it a policy, you know, an internal actually mindset or ideology. And and the best way to explain it is is this is driven by. Um, the concept of a family, a family. And you know, if Jordan, you've got kids uh, and I have kids and if our kids screw up on things, what happens? Do we blame them for everything and then kick them out of the house? I mean, that's kind of what a lot of companies do. They say, this is all your fault. And also you don't live here anymore. So get lost. Like, so that's how we, that's how people are treated in certain industries. But we don't do that in families, and if and people say, "Oh, we're a family here at our business," it's like, "Well, well, if we're really a family, let's not let's treat each other like families." Yeah. And so, really, what a good family does is is not kick you out of the house. What it says is two, what it does two things. One, it tries to understand and take responsibility for you know if my kid screws up, I'm thinking about what did I do that has led to this kid screwing up my my kids. And, and how am I going to tell them that it's, this is not okay, but also how I'm going to support them in not making that decision again. So if we apply that, I'm not saying these people that work for us are our kids, but no. this idea that in every scenario that we've seen something go wrong, we've first said, what, what role did Fieldhouse play, whoever it is, or collectively, in enabling this thing to happen? And two... If this person made this mistake, how could we support them and them never making this mistake again? And if we think about it in those terms, what we're doing is, I've just said as our team, we're challenging ourselves to find a way to work with these people. If we genuinely care for these people, then our goal is to work with them to to make them better and enhance their lives by giving them a great positive place to work that that they believe they're fully supported in. And and so that's kind of where this policy came from. So you know, there is, there's a, what we also say, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a ba- base level here. You have to be, you know, there's a decent human being yeah. quality here that, you know, if you're just disrespectful or sexist or racist or, you know, any of these, any of these things that don't, you know, qualify, qualify you as a, a basic human being, you know, those are, those are table stakes. So we have to say, those are, those are, you know, the house rules that we, we say anything below this, we, we just can't perpetuate that yeah. stuff in our company. But what we're saying is from a performance standpoint, we will take responsibility for the performance of our people and and work with them to, to do better. And so far, we've never fired anybody in it for any context. I, I guess it's, it, you know, it goes back to that. There's a, I mean, I'll probably mess up the verbiage as well, but it's a, you know, people don't, you know, um, people quit bad managers, not bad companies, right? So it's like if yeah. you're, and, and you know, you don't use the word management, but if you're, if you're not, 
you know, if you're not leading your people properly and giving them the tools to succeed, yeah. then it's your fault that, that this is, you know, this has happened. And you're right. There's always going to be, you know, the, the occasion where somebody doesn't meet that baseline performance, but then that's also your problem when it comes to hiring people is yeah. that you haven't put the right, you know, um, systems in place to, to hire correctly. Um, I, I, and not to go off on a tangent, but you know, you talk about, uh, I want to ask you about hiring next, but, uh, I was at a coffee shop this morning and, um, it's a, it was a chain coffee shop cause it was on my way in. And normally I like to go and support our, our local coffee shop, which I really love. Um, but, uh, I stopped in this chain coffee shop and, uh, I was so impressed by the service and every time I've gone into one of these chains anywhere, the service is always great. Always. And all I could think about this morning was how the hell are these, you know, is this the training procedure? Is it, is it just being able to hire correctly? And and when you, when you actually, you know, experience, you know, it seems like general joy when you walk through a coffee shop at 630 in the morning, there's got to be some, um, that's more the human behind it than I think it is even a training policy, right? Saying you need to smile to every customer that comes through the door, no matter what time. So it made me start to think about, you know, I'm very proud of our, our tasting room team and, and, um, you know, and how our customers feel about them. And, and most of them have been with us since day one. What do you look for? And I want to talk about frontline staff that are, you know, that are, that are people facing when you go through a hiring process, what are the general kind of questions and, and, um, things that you're looking for? And are you even involved in that anymore now that, you know, I'm talking out loud? Yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, things change and, and the and processes change a little bit. I mean, I'm involved in all the people that join our company. Uh, now, I'm not always the first person that you meet when you come to a company. We've got someone there that that helps manage that process and and, and meets different people. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm 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 certainly involved and I want to continue to be involved. Uh, you know, I I don't see myself not really being involved in that process in some capacity. As far as what we're looking for people, it's it's an interesting kind of question, and I, I'll be fully honest. Um, I think we've done a lot of work in our on our onboarding and our training scenarios. I think that's something we've been talking about right now is is tackling is is a, a better process to evaluate. You know the the culture as you say the cultural fit, and I'll yeah I'll say we, we are something we're actually working on right now because I don't think we've done it in a super scientific way, mm-hmm. um, and the reason we haven't really had to is because we've been really lucky in that most of the people I'd say ninety percent of the hires have come through somebody else. Yeah. So. It's a little easier when you get a checkbox at like this person will vouch for them and, and really the you've got that reference check working for you already. And they wouldn't have asked that person to come hire if they didn't think they were a fit knowing all the things they know about Fieldhouse. So I think this will become more apparent and more important as we grow and have to hire more people that are just not a connection. So you, sorry, so your employees are yeah. are now, are recommending other people that they know to come work for Fieldhouse and that's how you're Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. Okay. That's I'd I'd say I I'd 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 say the majority of people, whether it's ninety percent or not, is is coming through somebody. And we have an incentive plan for people who say, Listen, we're hiring somebody. If you know good people like yourselves, please come work for us. And and if they work for for us for I think it's for for three months, I think we it's uh you get a hundred dollars, hundred and fifty dollars or something. No like shit. That. Yeah. Well why not? Who keeps track of that on your end? Um our the the girl who helps uh Letitia who helps with our 
are the, the hiring process. She enables the process to happen. So is she an HR person then for you or does she do have wear a bunch of different hats? Um, well, we don't really say HR because we don't think <sighs> humans are guy. resources to be managed. Um, <laughs> but she is part of our people team. So yeah. we actually this year um, made a change in, in our people team. So we had a girl who uh, actually just went traveling for a few months and her role was kind of vacant and she was our, our people lead. And after she left, we, we were looking at what are we going to do because she's gone for a bit. Um, and we actually realized that instead of having one person's job who is people, it should be everybody's job if we really care about our people. So yeah. what we ended up doing was creating a people team. And what that team is, it's myself, who I want to be there to help you know, make sure that our culture is healthy and, and, and addressing any issues. Um, Josh, who we call Schwa, uh, like as in Joshua. Yeah, uh, is our, our. It's a very creative nickname. That's very, great. Yeah, he came up with it himself. Did he? Yeah. You can't come up with your own nickname. It doesn't work that way. Well, he did, and it, <laughs> it works apparently. But um, we have no, we have no choice apparently. <laughs> uh, and he is, you know, responsible. He's our, uh, you know, responsible for operations. And he obviously people are are the heart of our operations, as we say. So he has a big role in it. And then Letitia, who is uh, helps with enabling the process. And then we, what we have is we have a representative from each of the departments, from our brewing team, from our tasting room team, and from our kitchen team. And their job is to have their finger on the pulse on that how their teams are doing. And to collectively, we meet once a month to talk about the health of our people. So when you're on your when you're on a people team or when you're part of the people team, you are also part of another team at the same point in time, right? Yeah. And then who leads that people team meeting? Is it you or is it somebody else? It's Josh uh, Schwa. The Schwa. The Schwa. Uh, it's better when you say the schwa. It's like the schwami or the, the schwazi. That's awesome. You got to get him a new nickname. Well, I think we're too deep. Um, so he so he leads the meeting, and and what does he generally? How does he check in? Does he just say, "Hey, what's how's everybody's people doing?" So we just had our people meeting actually this last week. Uh, so what we do is we go around each department and and everybody kind of reports on kind of wins and opportunities. Basically, you know, is anybody in the department, you know had a big win anybody doing really well you really want to like recognize them just as a, as a great learning as, as best best you know best of class you know um and then also is anybody like struggling um you know is anybody need any help and I, I i just read actually um this book called um what's it called it's by the it's by the people lead of google and it's an amazing book um it's called work rules and there's a really interesting section of this book where they talk about you can learn uh about your co your company from the five best percent of people in your company and mm -hmm. and the bottom five percent and everybody in the middle don't worry too much about the the bottom the top five are the people that you want to model your business after right because you're right. highest performers they're super successful and you're like great let's get this is the model for how our business is optimal the five percent at the bottom is typically in the old school way it's like those are the guys we fire but those are the people that actually need the most help but the insight here is that if you look at your 5% and you're like, how do I improve on that top 5%? It's really hard to improve when you're at 98% to get to yeah. 99%. What if you looked at all these bottom performers at the bottom five and got them up to the mid 50% range? Now everybody's above the 50% range. Now your company's all in the top 50. Now we're moving in the right direction together, right? Right. So you really got to care about those people at, now say at the bottom, not, not, the, not at the bottom, but the people that are struggling because those are the people that, that need your help the most. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, that, that, so we talk about, you know, who, where are the wins, who need, who needs help or support. And then we talk about the initiatives that we're working on. So whether we're reviewing compensation, whether we're talking about, um, fun initiatives, we're planning for the team. There's a number of initiatives that we're working on actively as it relates to the, 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 the people and the health of, health of our business. And, um, just 
you know, this this podcast is is supposed to be more directed, you know, at industry folk, people that maybe already own breweries or thinking of of starting one up or or really anything in the hospitality industry, I guess. Um, what do you have a um, a program that organizes? Okay, so for instance, if you're if you're the head brewer and um, or the lead brewer or whatever, and then you're also part of the people team and you're part of another team, how do you keep your your staff all organized so that they know, oh yeah, shit, I've got the people meeting coming up at the end of the month. I need to think about this. Is there a, uh, an app or a program you use or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's, it's so the program we use is Basecamp 3. There's there's a few Basecamps. It's great. It's a great tool. I've used it for a lot of years, but the newest Basecamp has a lot of really cool functionality that enables some of this. So a lot of people use Slack as their communication tool. Yeah, we use it here at Steel and Oak. Yes, yeah. we do. Yeah. And I and and what Slack has is that um, real time communication piece yeah. of and and the different channeling of, of different conversations. So in a similar way, Basecamp three has a, just a bit more functionality on the project management side, like you know to dos and timelines and calendars. That's all built in with this. But what also we can do is so we've got the 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 projects or sort of the teams that we're on. So you're on the brew team, you're on the, you're on the food team, you're on the whatever it is, but then we have these project section. And then what that project section is pulling people from the other teams Teams. into a project. So those projects are typically cross departmental. So that's what works really well is that you're, you're, if you look at, you go into Basecamp, if you log in, you've got your, your core part of your business, which is probably call it 75% of your job or 90% of your job. And then 10% of your time, you're going to be in a project with other people in the company. And that's what allows a lot of collaboration. But, but, but also we, you're right. It would be a messy, messy to do that without a tool like this. So Basecamp three, I I definitely recommend it. It's the one. Okay. Yeah. Um, now with, having the amount of staff you have, having it organized the way it is, um, are there any, what are the issues and the pitfalls that you've found going through this process? Because there's got to be some. You you seem like you're Jesus of beer no. when you talk about this, but there's got to be, no, no. be issues. No, uh, I'm definitely not the Jesus of beer. Um, because uh, that's probably a, a reference because we're from Abbotsford and there's a lot of churches in Abbotsford. Probably <laughs> it's all I could come yeah, up with. Yeah, that's good. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, shoe fits. I didn't um, want to say you're the Judah of beer. Is that the guy that did all the bad things? I don't know. Yes, he, he, J- Judas. Judas, I think. Yeah, see? just a couple from Abbotsford. Just a couple Christian I, guys. I, I know. The, I know these. I know these things. <laughs> Um, I can tell you th- that specifically that the, the number one thing on my mind all the time, and probably any of my staff that's listening to this is will will probably agree with me um is the biggest challenge is around your the good intentions you have and what you want to do all these things i might be talking about and our ability to execute them in the in the way that we want to yeah and i know there is always a constant gap of what we say and our, our good intentions it's not because they're not true it's not because they're just just talk but the reality is that it's it's always harder to execute those things and we are always trying to close that gap between what we are telling our team and what we are trying to what we are trying to do and what we're able to do even as a small business as a 3-year-old business we we want all these things for our team but we only have so much resources and yeah. it's really hard to explain that to people sometimes in a way that makes sense and I, and I totally get it and sometimes you look at a business from the outside I'm sure you feel this people are like oh my goodness look at Steel Oak it's so successful i mean i wonder how much money would do they they their colors red and they probably have red ferraris because they're they're the brand on brand i drive an old brewery guys 
old Nissan Pathfinder that was too shitty for him to drive. So I bought it. It's white and red, though. It's on brand, though. Which it is, is white. Red. It has a decal a on the decal, back. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you, you know that feeling yeah. of, of people thinking that a business like ours, it's within the first five years, that it's it's just rolling in dough. And that's just not the reality because yeah. we we are investing in the growth and that growth is for our people. You know, we, we talk about why, why we want to be profitable and so we can invest profits in the business. That creates opportunities. You know, if we didn't grow and if, you know, we're, we're, we're really humbly appreciative of the start we've had. That's enabled us to have a lot of great manage or manage the tricky, tricky, <laughs> tricky there. Great, great positions, you know, yeah. for people to, to, to step up into leadership roles. And, yeah. and anyway, so that's my biggest thing. My biggest thing is I'm super conscious about what are we saying and are we actually walking, walking the talk. And I, I it's yeah. always, I'm always really actually self, self-conscious about that. Execution is the hardest thing. And I think people never, it actually rarely gets talked about is mm-hmm. it's so often we'll have meetings at steel and oak and we'll be like oh yeah this seems like such a great idea okay who's putting it into play who's yeah. doing it because you have these conversations and everybody's like that's a great idea and then the conversation ends and no one assigns it to a person no one gives you know an actionable thing to do or a date to complete it by and it's like this, it seems like the simplest thing but just in life even outside of business it rarely rarely does it ever get you know, um, does that actual actionable item get assigned to somebody to complete, to actually execute what you're trying to achieve, right? Yeah. And um, I know, you know, uh, we've known each other for a while now, and um, and uh, I always kind of think of you as, is you talk about the things that we all want to do, but seems way too much fucking work to actually put into play. <laughs> so I'm really happy to hear that you can't do it all either which makes me feel a lot well, better. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the the important part to recognize is that, you know, you know, as I was saying before in our our org chart or whatever you want to call it, um I have, you know, two things I'm responsible for as part of the business. And that is uh new business, where the business is going, how we're developing it, and and also to play a role in the people and culture team. And really at the end of the day that is my entire role. And and to your kind of point, you know, the full credit of what we're able to do and get going is to the team of people that we have that have stepped up and take ownership of areas. And, and actually, you know, and I know I've part of those meetings where we're like, you know, not sure who's going to do it. One thing I give my full credit to my team is when we have a meeting about a big event or whatever, I, one of my, one of the most inspiring things for me to see is watching everybody divide and conquer. They're just like, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And then everybody goes and does their thing. It comes together and you're like, wow, you guys just rocked it. You all knew exactly what role you played, went and did it with your expertise. And we pulled off an amazing thing because of it. And that's, that's like one of like those things that you're like, those are those like moments where you're like, wow, what a team we have here. And like, we're so lucky to have these people that help us make these things happen. So really just that, you know, there's all these things we want to make happen, but in our business that that is because we have a team of, of really inspiring people that do, do that every day. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, you guys obviously, you know, you mentioned earlier, you have the space to do unique things with the front lawn at, at Fieldhouse. Um, and you do awesome events all throughout the year. And I'm always impressed when I follow you on social media to, you know, you guys seem to ex- execute and you you do have things lined up. It's like weekly, there's something new and exciting happening at Fieldhouse. Is is that, you know, let's talk about like the event-based um, things that you have at the brewery. Is that, uh, is that a certain person's, their job? Or is it one of those things again where everybody has 10% of what they do as part of this 
you know, outward facing events, you know, team or, or how does that, how do you, how do you pull all that off? Um, cause you do seem to have something going on every single friggin' week. Yeah. So we've, I mean, this started with Ashley, who is now sort of our brand director and, you know, for the first two years, I mean, the first year we opened, we did all the industry beer events and then we did 26 of our own planned events that year, which is a lot. That's half the, F yeah. every other week. And it was a lot. We, we, we scaled a little bit down from there, but she really set the tone for the, adding this layer of experience to our product offering. And that's something we really believe is that we, when we say what our product is, we say we, we use the terminology good beer uh, that we, we think it's you know about making good beer. Um, uh, we now say good eats because we have a pretty thriving uh, food program mm -hmm. and then good times, which is our experience. And the, the three, the layered combination of those three elements, if you can be sitting on our lawn and you have an amazing, you know, new beer, a wine hybrid or a sour or barrel aged beer, whatever, and you're eating an amazing pizza that was made in our kitchen with dough made in a house and we're listening to local music and a part of an event. To me, those are like, those aren't like the big things in life. Those aren't like, oh, I went on this big trip across Europe. That's like the small magic of of how you get yeah. through a week that is sometimes what people need is just that little pick me up yeah and people somebody asked me that question on a different podcast about they're like when is when is your little fist pump moment and my fist pump moment is when i'm sitting on that lawn on a blanket my kids are there they're eating pizza we're listening to local music and i'm drinking a a, a beer that you know we're really excited about it's not a big moment. It's a little moment. And I think yeah. uh, the quality of life is based on little moments. And I think that's what we're trying to do is, is little experiences add up to, to a quality of life. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it, I think I was talking to Ben and, and uh, from Dagrad and Brent from Four Winds and obviously we're all suburb breweries. And I think it's suburb, suburb breweries that don't have a lot else. I mean, new S is starting to grow, but, but the reality of it is when we opened up, there wasn't a lot, lot else going on. And I think, you don't realize how much people in your community just want something to hold on to that say that it's theirs and that they're proud of it and that they can have it as their community hub to hang out at. And I know in New Westminster, it was really difficult to find that before we opened and not to try and pat myself on the back because it, it was, you know, the city wanted it so bad mm -hmm. that it could have been anything. We just needed a place to hang out and to be proud of and to call our own, right? And I think, you know, it, it is... It, the, I think those little moments actually become big moments because I know like, you know, even when you're on a vacation or, or, you know, whatever, it's there's always that moment where you're, you know, we we're fortunate enough to we take my family to Hawaii every every January and no one's buying beer. And and um, and it's not that that I remember that we're, we went to Hawaii. It's that, you know, you're sitting on a beach and like you said, you're having something good to eat or to drink and you look around at your family this is it. This is great. This is that moment. Right. And, and I think the ability of craft breweries to be able to give that moment to people, we see it in our tasting room. I mean, we don't have, you know, obviously a robust food program like you, and we definitely don't have the space like you do, but you know, you see people meeting each other for the first time or, you know, people getting married or meeting their, their future spouse. Um, and you're like, holy shit, that would never happen for those people if we didn't exist here. Yeah. And, um, and it's like the one up that we have on opening one of these things in a populated city center where they, they already exist. And you guys have done such a really, really good job of it. Um, so, you know, you kind of touched on your, your, you know, your, your fist pump moment. Um, what are some, some things that you're, you're kind of not that pumped about that you need help with, or that you think could improve for Fieldhouse or that you're working on that, you know, to, to, 
to, you're kind of thinking, okay, well, everything else seems to be going really well, but these are a few things that we really, really need to work on. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be brewery specific. It could be about the community. It could be about, yeah. Um, I don't know where we are. We're working on different, yeah, different things. I mean, I think we're, we're just in a challenge of, of moving from being, you know, a, a, a small business to, to growing. And I think that's just the growing pains of doing that and trying to just keep everything working in a good way and keeping everybody feeling good and positive. And I think going back to our people, I really just, I, I think that's the, the number one priority always on my mind is, is everybody feeling okay about this? You mm-hmm. know, is everybody feeling okay about growth and it does enable things, but it also makes other things challenging. And I think that's why we've, we've sort of doubled down our efforts on the people and, and the touch points on, and, and we have, you know, now so many different ways that we are trying to interact with our people just to make sure that nobody's not feeling okay about it, you know, and mm-hmm. just, just, just trying to get that information out of the woodwork and into, into a, um, and into arena where we can do something about it. So it's probably, my, probably for sure. My biggest challenge is, is how to, how to make sure that is going okay. And so you talk about growth and I know, you know, we briefly chatted before we got on air here about, um, you know, that you're putting in some infrastructure to add some more volumes, more capacity. What's the overall vision of what field house is going to be long-term as far as, you know, production you know not necessarily production volume but your vision of where the beer goes and and what you're really trying to achieve let's say in 10 years from now yeah i think i mean yeah speaking conceptually to it that we know that our heart does not lie in in really wholesale distribution i mean we we totally value all the partners we have and all the places that that choose to carry fieldhouse and we're so grateful for that um we just know that's a, that's going to be con- continually challenging part of the industry because of just the amount of yeah. beers and bre- like breweries times a buy the, the 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 pace that the beer programs are expanding expanding by. There's just too many beers to to separate that. So I think the movement of our our um, our business is going to be to increase our production, but also increase increase our retail or experience. Um, touch points. So having other touch points that are field house touch points, um, so that we can deliver our beer and that concept of it's not just beer that you get maybe in more of a singular transaction, you know, from a, from a beer store or, um, that you can surround that with all the other touch points that we're interested in. So I think that's where we're heading is, is more beer, but not, but more beer, uh, also touch points and access points that, that are, that are designed by field house. And so when you talk about touch points and you're talking about other business opportunities that, you know, that Fieldhouse is, is going to be a part of or already is a part of in Abbotsford, um, you know, I've been giving you a hard time about, you know, having to have this at 1.30 rather than 9 a.m. when I normally like to record them. Um, but it's because you're probably the most, you're probably the busiest guy I know. And, and you have, well, I mean, you at least act like you're the busiest guy I know. And, yeah. uh, and you're a hard guy to nail down for anything. And I've always been impressed with how you time block and schedule yourself. So with all of that being said and Fieldhouse expanding, where is the majority of your time being spent right now? Is it on new projects? What are those projects? Or is it still within Fieldhouse and trying to grow that company culture? Or is it everything? It's probably everything. My wife has reminded me that it's everything. Cause she's still your wife, though. She's which is, still my wife, yeah. So I at mean, least you've been managing enough home time and, and yeah, and she works too, obviously yeah, as well, she's, right? So yeah, are, she's full time teacher and she's yeah. full time uh, finance director for Fieldhouse as well. Shit. So, so yeah, we're busy. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I 
I, I guess, yeah, it is, it's a bit of everything right now. Um, we, I, I think the most important thing I'm working on right now is um, we're in this process where we are writing the, the Fieldhouse 2025 vision plan for where Fieldhouse is going in the next five years. And what we did, which was really fun to do, and it was my project to lead, was first talk to, you know, to kind of the people that are in those leadership roles that, that you know, are responsible for the department and the queries of our business. Um asked them what they thought, where it was heading. Then we put it out to our, the rest of our crew. And then we put it out to our, our investment uh, people that, that believed in Fieldhouse in the first place. And lastly, we actually put it out to our, all of our customers on Instagram. And we sent out on our, um, oh, wow. on our newsletter a link to uh, a survey, a very short survey. Um, and we just said, hey, what do, you, what do you think Fieldhouse is doing good? What do you think Fieldhouse can improve on in the next five years? And what do you think Fieldhouse should be known for in the next five years? I think I filled that out. I put more yeah. steel and oak guest tabs. More at- guest tabs, <laughs> yeah. More like products like, yeah, like steel and oak. Um, anyways, that was a really fun process to get this yeah. content. And then we're actually working with a really great writer. I just got today, or well, last night, the, the first draft of, of that vision. Um, cool. And... I got like goosebumps, real goosebumps. Really? And it was nice because, you know, because I, I didn't get goosebumps because I wrote it. I, I, I got goosebumps because it re- represented everybody that had some stakeholder role in Fieldhouse. That's our community. It's our customers. It's our crew. And it's the people, obviously, that, that make the, the day-to-day operations. And so for me, I'm really excited to get that. The goal is that we are going to publish that. Uh, publicly and so everybody understands what our intentions are and that they're also part of that 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 conversation so that's that's something i'm really excited about um another thing i'm excited about is we're working towards becoming a b corp this year and if you know what b corp is it's you know the byline is businesses you know as a force for good and um we really believe in it if you're you're interested check it out uh at you know b corps or b corporations and really we're trying to work through their model of of what adjustments can we make to make sure that we we stand for something good in Mm -hmm. in our business and what we what kind of good we can do with in our community so we've we've set a goal to become a b corp by the end of the year and we and we actually started a blog it's called becoming a B Corp is pretty funny, really good, right? Yeah, it's, it's really good. The, the fact that it hasn't been taken already yeah. is beyond me. We're just brilliant geniuses over at Fieldhouse. Um, and uh, it's like you came up with a podcast called Beer Life. Yeah, that's good too. You must have thought about that for like minutes or more than more I should minutes, have. Yeah. Um, anyways, that's that's an exciting initiative too. And we 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 published a public blog to hold ourselves accountable for that process. That's great. Yeah. And then, you know, we have some, you know, expansion projects trying to make more beer and that kind of stuff yeah. as it just relates to supporting operations. So. Do you see B Corp as more of something that benefits the internal operations of, of Fieldhouse and is more of a pat on the back for the people that work for you? Or do you think that it's more of a, you know, for lack of a better word, a good selling feature for, for your beer and for your brand? Well, I think, in, uh, I think... It, First of all, in the internal thing, it's been a great tool for us to assess how we're doing. You know, it's okay. it. I can tell you, it's not an easy thing to actually achieve. Um, so we've had to change and buckle down and, and make adjustments or get things started on projects that we just weren't on our radar in order to do that. So I think it, it's a good internal tool. Um, on the external thing, you know, I read um, a great book called "Let My People Go Surfing" by Yves Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. And there's a great sort of theme in this book where um, Patagonia hasn't been shy about doing good things for the world, but also talking about them. And I don't think they talk about them in a way to, to say they're so great and everybody's so bad. They do it because 
if more people talk about doing good things and why it's important to do good things, yeah. then hopefully other people will follow suit. And, I, you know, Patagonia is, you know, a brand all of our staff loves. And it also is a super inspirational brand for the world. Um, and they're a leader in B, B, B Corp company. And I think that just reminded me that we need to do more good things, you know, as it relates to this B Corp movement. But also it's okay to share good things as well because mm-hmm. those those good things can be inspirational. So it's not just like to do it for marketing, but it's okay to talk about it because these are good things and we should talk about good things because there's enough negativity in the world and talking about bad things, you know, pull up any news outlet yeah. and where's the good news? You know, it's, it's 5% of what we're talking about. So why, why not talk about more good things in the world in the hopes that we, we, we move in that direction. When I think it's, it's, I was talking to Ben Coley about, you know, bragging about yourself every once in a while when you do do something good. And I think it's a really difficult thing for any person or, or business to even do is to, how to say, hey, we're doing great things and we're, we're telling you this because we want you to also do great things mm-hmm. without coming across as, as boastful, right? And you guys have always done a pretty good job of that, I find. No, I mean, Ben doesn't have any problem with that because, you know, when you, win Canadian, when, no, when you win Canadian Brew of the Year and you have all those awards, yeah. you just everybody's bragging on your behalf. So. Well, that's what I said to him. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm the one that does it all for oh, him, yeah. right? That's probably our job is to brag, brag on each other a little bit, you know. I, I hope that, so. I think so. I think we all talk really highly of of our our colleagues in this industry, and I think that's what makes it unique. It is, yeah. It makes it what it makes it wonderful, right? Wow. And I think about what I was doing before, and it's definitely not as you know collaborative and and uh, unique and fun as as the beer industry, right? Which is I know part of the reason why we all decided to get into it. I don't think people really understand the the depth of this industry as far as how that looks. You know, there's no restaurants just all going away together and hanging out. And, and we have a retreat we do every year where we go away and we share, you know, the details of our business, the finances, you know, all these different things in the hopes of helping each other. Not, not you know, you know, and that, that doesn't exist in any other industry. I know because I've worked with a lot of industries. Do you think it'll always be that way? I hope, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. I, and and I, I, I'm always a bit of a, an optimist, but I, I think it will. I'm not saying everybody will be in that boat, but I think the core of the industry will continue with that collaboration spirit. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what's gotten us to this, this point. And if we don't realize the value in that, you know, we're, we're still, you know, so small compared to the big guys that if we want to keep fighting our way up that food chain, I think we still gotta, we gotta push harder. Oh, I agree. I agree. It's, you know, I, funny you mentioned big guys i was in denver last week well the last week from when this is recorded the craft brewers conference and uh it's the largest um craft brewers conference in the world um it's put on the brewers association of america and um so we were there myself and and my business partner jamie and our head brewer eric and we're like well what do we do today and the four winds guys actually recommend like you should go to to coors and we're like, what? And they're like, you should go to Coors and check it out. It's 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 so impressive. It'll just help put things in perspective for you. Because yeah. I think we often, you know, talk about no matter how small or how big, we all have the same problems. They're just on different scales, right? Yeah. And um, and if you ever want to feel small or feel positive that there's more piece of the pie that we can take as as craft breweries, go to Coors. It is insane how big this place is. Yeah. We drove for five minutes and we were still out front of Coors. Five minutes on the freeway. And um, they told told us that it was the biggest brewery in the world. I guess there's breweries that make more beer than they do, but it was the largest single standing brewery in existence. And you go in and you go on the tour and you see how many um, brew kettles they have and cereal cookers, they call them. And there's about 50 of them. And I think 
you know, most of them make about 700 hectoliters each go. And I swear that they probably spill more beer in a given day than we make an entire calendar year. And it's just, it's, it's impressive to look at, but it's also neat to see that they're so large. Um, and we're so small that we have so much growing that we're able to do. And, um, you know, it was kind of almost inspiring that, that saying, well, we've taken some of their pie, but look at how big this piece of pie actually is that we can carve into. And, um, and so, I mean, if, if you're going to Denver ever, I recommend going to Coors. You have to drink Coors Banquet. Um, but the, the tour itself is just impressive in its own right. And it's, it, it makes you feel good about, you know, where you're at and where you can go. Yeah. I mean, I think the the interesting thing about scale and that maybe just tying back to the Patagonia thing was that, you know, when you look at this concept of using business for good, you think about the scale that Coors has and the money they have and what they could do good for the world. And probably what they don't do is a lot of great things for the world, other than people that like Coors Banquet. Um, where you look at someone like Patagonia, who's also a billion dollar company out there and you know, have decided to use their business to tackle climate change. And, and they have one of the largest daycare programs in the United States because they, it's for their staff and they created it. And oh, wow. it's like, there's a whole part of the book, book that explains this is that they realize that scale is a tool to do more good things. And that's something we've tried to embrace with, uh, with the growth of Fieldhouse is that with being bigger, we can create more jobs for people and create more opportunities and we can give more back to our community and we can make more fun things happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know in our businesses we 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 fear scale because it will change us but it also will change us in a good way sometimes because of the the good things we can do with having more resources yeah and i think when you talk about having extra jobs when for when you grow i mean i think we're never going to grow to the size of them of a course um where you get so big that you can operate incredibly efficiently with minimal amount of people Right. I mean, I think the one great thing, and I mentioned this um, in one of the previous podcasts, is that, you know, why the the current government in BC loves us is because we operate inefficiently and we create jobs for people. We were watching this Coors packaging line run and we <laughs> had to laugh because they're running this packaging line that I think makes more that packages more beer in a minute than we basically do all year. Like that's there's seven packaging lines running at the same time. And I counted three people. On the floor, it takes us three people to run our six-head machine. <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> crazy. yeah, so they could literally run yeah. this whole thing. And I'm sure there's some people behind the scenes, or there was some sort of NASA control desk that I didn't see. Yeah. But but you looked at it and you're like, holy shit, these guys are pumping up so much beer, and they don't need a lot of people to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the the cool thing about our business is right as we scale up or as we create these new opportunities for people. Um, you know that you get to see people grow and you get to bring in other people that were doing something they didn't like and now you know they get to be part of this you know family i guess and and uh and do unique things and do good for the community and and feel good about what they're doing um which is kind of a, a cool thing about you know this whole concept of having these neighborhood breweries in in cities that we live in or that we care about and we love um so speaking of doing cool things in cities that you live in and that you love, what other projects does Fieldhouse have on the go that you can tell us um, in Abbotsford right now? Um, well, there's there's a lot of a lot of my job is is pending projects that may or may not happen. Okay, and that's I guess those are hard projects to share, and I'm usually yeah. pretty conscious about. Uh, what's the right time to share a project? Um, and you know, it's you know we're, we're probably early on a few things. Uh, we have our 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 
projects we're working on. We have one we're just expanding right now. We're adding um, two 60 hectoliter tanks and a 60 hectoliter bright um, and, and more space for more beer tanks. So that's a really exciting one for us right now. Um, I guess the other one we could share is uh, Fieldhouse is, is well, Fieldhouse uh, or slash myself um, is uh, partnering on a project just down the street from us. It's a 9,000 square foot building. It's an old, kind of looks like an old barn. Like, actually, there's a lot of buildings look like barns in Abbotsford. <laughs> um, most of them are actually just barns. Um, this one's not. It's a. It's it's kind of really. It's really close to downtown, like a like a one minute walk. It's really close to actually access to the freeway. And our kind of vision for the space is creating a cultural hub uh, center for um, Abbotsford. We have a lot of growth in business and and homes and people, but one thing that we feel has just been left out of the equation is culture, and culture is music and the arts and um, all those components that are those soft things that people don't really think about, but they're also the things that when you have them, people are like, wow, this is really amazing, and that's why when you go to cool states like Austin, Texas, and, and, and Portland, and, and, and a lot of um, really cool cultural hubs in the state, Nashville, um, they're just dripping with culture. And mm-hmm. I think that is really what makes the heart of a community. I mean, you can have a, a, as many businesses as you want, but if you forget about culture. So we partnered with a few different businesses um, and are just involved in this project and, and having, you know, Fieldhouse and other partners um, as part of the offering. And it's really exciting. It'll be a co-working space, a kind of a uh, community kitchen, sort of a mini commissary that can be used for as a teaching kitchen. And then it's a, a local music venue. So it's going to be a 200 to 250 person music venue, dedicated music venue and, and really unlike kind of anything in lower mainland it's fully fully set up for sound it's already kind of ready to go we just have to finish some of the the licensing but that's pretty fun to just be partnered with a bunch of cool people in abbotsford trying to make something really interesting happen and you know um that's what we're really interested in moving forward is how do we we bring what fieldhouse does the things that we've learned in their and our experience and partner with other great people in the community to make new projects happen and there's a few things kind of pending but unfortunately nothing that i'd yeah, you know, it's not like there's such a secret, but I just don't want to, you know, talk about things that may or may not happen, kind of thing. So no, and I think that's the. Uh, it's hard to when you're in the excitement stage of yeah. starting something new. You know, we always have, you know, things in the fire, and and you forget that there's so many things that stand in the way of it actually coming to fruition. Yeah, and it's easy to lose sight of that, yeah. and then you know you say, oh yeah, we're doing this. Oh no, wait. Yeah, something came up that's not in our control. We so. are not doing yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll run up against it. If there was something that you wanted to leave um, anybody listening with uh, advice or anything cool about Fieldhouse, what would it be? Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think what we we want to perpetuate is this idea that um, there's more to a business than just making money. And obviously money is important and being profitable allows you to do things and allows you to employ people and staff people and give them raises and promote them, all those different things but that there's a lot more we can do with our businesses than just make money. And that is really, you know, if you're Coors, you're, you're probably about the almighty buck at the end of the day and your shareholder value and whatever that is. And we're trying to move the, the bar the other direction and say, why are we measuring success by only uh, the, the bottom number on our profit and loss statement? Really, the other components of our business that where we're adding value and, you know, the things that we have going on, we have a new a leadership program that's going really well. Um, there's a lot of other things that we can do in our business that maybe don't even cost a lot of money. It's just about taking time and caring about people and being more thoughtful and intentional about things. So I know it's kind of abstract, but I think we should all, I would like us to all kind of give some thought to how we can join this movement of 
just a new focus on business. It's, it's been the same way for a long time since whatever the industrial revolution where, you know, or capitalism kind of took over. And, you know, I think the new economy is, is different. You know, people aren't valuing as much money and things as much as they are about experiences and you know, if we can focus our energy into our people and creating really cool experiences for people, um, I think that that goes a long ways for me as far as us doing something good and the reason to get up and go to work every day. You really are the Jesus of craft beer. It's only because I live in Abbotsford. <laughs> uh, I want to say thank you to our guest, Josh Vanderheide from Fieldhouse Brewing. Uh, check them out on Instagram. And uh, thanks for listening. This is Beer Life with Jordan Foss. Jordan Foss.